Ion 2020, episode 222. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey y'all, it's me, Ray Eaton here, host of Ion 2020. Thanks for joining me for another day. In the 2020 election cycle, thank you again for keeping on coming back. I'm doing this show Monday through Friday for you just to make sure that you guys are up to speed and up to date on all the things that are going on in the 2020 election. And in a wonderful and chaotic turn of events, I imagine that you would say, uh, Michael Bloomberg is now talking about jumping into the race as a Democrat. So Michael Bloomberg is he has name recognition. He is popular, I guess. Uh, he's one of those people that have been floated for a while as a Democratic nominee. So back in, I think it was March or April, he decided that he was not going to get into the race. But as I was saying over the summer, I mean, I was, I've been saying it for a while. I don't think that the Democratic, um, like the, the group of people that are running, you have 20, you had 25 of them at one point. I think now you have 18 that are still in the race. I don't think that any of them are really strong. I think that people are just generally unhappy with the lineup that they have. So people have been calling for a more popular candidate, somebody that um, has name recognition, is popular, has the ability to jump on the stage and, and get out there and get the votes, you know, get the people that get the donations that they would need to get on the debate stage, get to the uh, campaign funding and all that stuff, you know, uh, get the poll numbers that are going to get up into the debates. Like, you do not have excitement among Democrats for their candidates at all. I mean, Bernie Sanders, don't get me wrong, Bernie Sanders has loyal followers, but he's plateaued. He's right around that 20% mark, and he's not really going higher. And there's other people, like, this seems to me that Democrats are looking for somebody else. And, I mean, you have... The front runners, you have Joe Biden. No one's excited about him. The dude can't even raise money. He had to start a super PAC because he can't get, not him starting it, but he had to have somebody start a super PAC for him because he can't get the individual donations that he needs from people. And because there's a max amount that you're allowed to donate, I think it's like 2200 bucks or something uh, to campaigns. And he can't get people to donate to him. So he had to start a little campaign super PAC. And then you have... People like Bernie Sanders, he's obviously getting lots and lots of donations. He's raising money like crazy, but he's plateaued. He really has. Elizabeth Warren, no one's excited about her. I mean, she's getting beat up on left and right, and you know if she goes against Donald Trump, she's going to get destroyed because um, she lied about being a Native American. I mean, he is going to go after that Pocahontas story constantly, and she'll become a laughing stock. And she is way too far left and too far liberal, uh, too way too progressive for just the moderate people out there that are going to vote. So they would vote against her, and you can't have somebody that people are going to vote against. You can't. You have to be able to bring more people together. You have to have someone that's more centrist. And the centrist person they have, Joe Biden, is not getting the excitement. And then you have 
Pete Buttigieg, who is the other centrist, and look at Pete Buttigieg though. He just he's a mayor from South Bend, Indiana. That the likelihood of him becoming the nominee, uh, even though he's very popular, he's well spoken, the dude uh seems like he knows his stuff. He's been coached extremely well on how to do these debates and how to communicate effectively. He's just he's a very intelligent guy. But there's not a lot of excitement about him either. There's just not. So the group of candidates that they have, very little excitement about that. So Bloomberg is one someone that they've been floating as somebody that can jump in, has the money. I mean, he's a billionaire. I think he's worth $52 billion or something. So he's just a, a very, very wealthy guy. He can jump into it, self-fund that campaign with like a billion dollars is what he wanted to. And then all of a sudden, he is in the race. He's able to blow up spots everywhere. I mean, he would be able to pull like what John Steyer is doing, but with the name Michael Bloomberg. With that name. Because no one knows who uh, Steyer is at all. And Steyer is starting to get some bad publicity as well. Buying, trying to buy people's um, support in Iowa. Like pay for like state legislators and stuff pay them to uh you know pay them to support him pretty much pay them to publicly support him so you have Michael Bloomberg though i mean mayor of new york right gets in possibly can get lots of people to donate to his campaign i think in order to get even onto the debate stages you have to have 3 or 4 i think it's like 4% of the vote now um for november he wouldn't get into it anyway but for like december because I think the, the, the windows pass for the November debate. But the December debate, you have to have 4% of the vote. Uh, so you have to be 4% of the polls. And you have to have, three. I think it's 300,000 individual comp- contributors to your campaign. And at least 800 have to be in 20 states or something like that. So if that's the case, he could probably make that happen pretty quick. So it, it's possible. I mean, he, he's dip, dipping his tone in the water. He actually sent somebody in Alabama to sign him up to be on the ballot. And that launched a bunch of people on Twitter and a bunch of people calling for him to get into the into the race. But I don't think Michael Bloomberg, my personal feeling on him is he's a very liberal guy. <clears throat> like, he's literally the one who created the coca-cola like the that you know how you in new york you couldn't buy a soda that was over 12 ounces or something like he's the one that created that like that's him michael i'm gonna limit your soda intake bloomberg is gonna be running for president if that's the case like that's something that you can run against in the first place and donald trump left new york city like new york city the highest taxes in the country possibly terrible I mean, business obviously flourishes there because there's so many people there, right? But it's a corrupt city. I mean, it's just, uh, it's amazing that he'll be able to run. But then again, a a mayor from New York is going to have a lot of name recognition. Um, He's liked among liberals, apparently. And I guess they love the soda tax or whatever the soda, they, the, what they, they did is they made it so that you can't, buy a certain size soda like it has to be 12 ounces or less if it's a soda and did he try to ban sodas altogether i think i i'm pretty sure it was just a ban on like the size of sodas and it was actually overturned in the supreme court i think so 
Now you can buy a much larger soda in New York. But can you imagine somebody like that being in the presidency? Somebody who would sign? Like if Congress sent him a bill that limited the amount of calories that you're legally allowed to take in in a day. He would sign it because he wants to control your life down to that. That is, whoa. Can you imagine? I just couldn't even imagine being in that situation, man. I really could not. Where you're in, you're looking at a president that can possibly do that, that wants that much control over your life. That is him thinking he knows so much better than you on how to run your life that he's going to tell you what size sodas to drink. That, I mean, that's the epitome of a dictator right there. The epitome of it. Oh, yeah, I am so intelligent. I can tell you what to eat. You know, we need to ban burgers. We need to ban this. We need to ban that. Kids are take, eating way too much sugary food. We need to ban those. What would be next? Who knows? How far can we take that? But he was willing to do it in New York. Why wouldn't he try to do it nationally? That is the liberal thing, man, is to try to tell people how to live. Try to tell people how to live. I mean, Republicans do it too, though. I, I'm not only beating up on Democrats. I'm, I would beat up on Republicans as well because they will tell you how to live from your social standpoint. They will try to pass laws to force you to follow some biblical principles and stuff. They did it in the 1800s and 1900s, and people still try to fight stuff like that today sometimes. School prayer, making it laws and stuff like that. So, yeah, they'll try to tell you how to live too. So I'm not just saying it's Democrats. I'm saying it's Republicans. I'm saying that it's a philosophy that's wrong because libertarians have the right idea. Libertarians have the idea that says, leave me alone. If I'm not harming you, if I'm not bothering you, if what I'm doing does not infringe upon your freedom, leave me alone and don't expect the government to tell me what to do either and don't tell other people to bother me. You leave me alone and don't try to force other people to bother me. Don't try to force other people to tell me what to do because I'm not infringing upon your rights or your freedoms or your liberty. That's the libertarian way. That's how we should all be. If I'm drinking a soda... Why should you be able to tell me that I shouldn't be able to drink a 32-ounce Big Gulp from 7-Eleven Mountain Dew with extra caffeine? If I want to go buy a 44-ounce Jolt soda, sorry, that probably ages me because I don't think they make Jolt anymore, but that was the soda that was made in like the 90s where it was like, I think it was triple the caffeine of regular soda and triple the sugar or something. It was just insane. And uh, go get yourself a 44-ounce Jolt. Next thing you know, you'll have to have um, diabetes medication. But if you want to do it, that's on you, man. You don't need to tell me what I should put in my body. If you want, I mean, if you, if you want to do what you want to do, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. And I'm not going to go to the government and try to get them to pass a law because I see you over there doing something I don't approve of. Nope, that's not the way things should be. But Bloomberg is all about that. He proved it in New York. I'd love to get into some more about this guy and see exactly what policies he passed in New York as well. It drives me bonkers when I see somebody who is willing to tell other people how to live their lives, though. 
and thinks that they just know better. And I think that's where Bloomberg's at. But the Democrats, the problem they have is that there's no excitement behind their candidates. And to be honest with you, I don't know that there'd be that much excitement excitement among Bloom like for Bloomberg if he jumped into the race. No more excitement. This is what they're comparing him to be, though. That if he gets in, he'll be somebody that's an older statesman type person that people can trust, kind of like Joe Biden, but without all the the gaffes. That's what they're saying. Somebody that is like a moderate who can jump into that, jump into the race and be a moderate that people will listen to and people will respect and has experience. That's what they're saying about him. So he'll take from Joe Biden. He'll take from the people that are running on the moderate side. But the thing is, is the moderates, Joe Biden and Buttigieg, are sitting there with around 29, 30% support. But then you have Warren and, uh, and Bernie Sanders who are sitting around having, you know, combined about 35, 36% support or so something like that so who knows i mean i i I just don't see bloomberg being that excited people being that excited about bloomberg but hillary on the other hand i still think that well i don't see anything that says that she's going to get into the race actually i read something earlier that by november 5th oh that's what it says right here i just found the article it says that New Hampshire's filing deadline is Friday, November 15th. So already 15 candidates have filed for the Democratic ballot with more to file on Friday and next week. So there are a lot of candidates that are 15 of them already filed. So if, if Hillary Clinton goes and files in New Hampshire by November 15th, then you know she's getting in. You know that her head's getting big and she's going to hop in. But she would be the, I really do think it, guys. She would be the only one. Michael Bloomberg? No. I mean, I don't see people getting that excited about him. No more than Joe Biden. No more than people getting excited about that. Like, Michael Bloomberg. Ah, You know, yeah, he has a a name that people recognize. He has a ton of money. He could probably run against Trump and go head-to-head with the guy, two guys from New York that are kind of outsiders in politics, even though Bloomberg was the mayor of New York. But Hillary Clinton, she can get into it and kind of shake things up if she wanted to and probably end up with the nomination and you'd get people that are excited about her. And there's people that are calling on that. They really want somebody with that name recognition to get in because they are not happy with the current group of people that are up there. But I'm not going to go on about that any longer, Okay. You do have a debate coming up on November 20th, just so you know, so stay tuned to the show because I will be doing a post-show debate as well as a pre-show debate. So this is the way I always run it for these debate shows on the 20th. So on the uh, on the 19th or on the 20th, I'll actually release my pre-debate show. So you're going to get a wrap up on all of the people that are on that debate stage and who they are and what they stand for, right? Just a general overview of all these guys. And then the night of the debate, I hop on at about 11 o'clock or so, and I don't look at any news channels. I just kind of 
go by my notes and tell you what I originally or what I thought about the entire debate, let you know how I felt about the candidates, who won, so forth, right? I try not to look at other news sources because I don't want to get the talking head's opinion. I want it to come straight from my mouth how I felt about it. And then the next day after the debate, that's when you'll get that show. So I'll record it at like 11 o'clock at night. I'll release it at 5 a.m. the next day after the debate. So you don't even have to watch the debate. I'll let you know how it goes. But if you want to watch the debate and compare my notes and let me know how you thought of, or what you thought about the debate, you can do that as well. You just email me, ray at immediately after the debate. Let me know what you thought. So then usually after the debate, a couple days later, after I've watched the news a little bit, after I've seen what the talking heads are saying, then I'll do a post-debate wrap-up show where I kind of talk about who won according to the to the real talking heads, the ones that really know what they're talking about, because they're the ones that research all this stuff, because they're the ones that see all the Twitter feeds and everything else that's going on, right? And you'll be able to see what, you know, and then I'll tell you what they're saying about each of the candidates. And that's how I usually do those, right? And uh, that'll be interesting, but stay tuned for that. I'll let you guys know more as we proceed, uh, as we get closer to it as well, okay? That's kind of towards the end of the month, on the 20th. So, And then uh, Thanksgiving will be soon after that, on the 8th, or on the 28th, I think is Thanksgiving. Uh, but anyway, going on. So, wow. Democrats unveil a proposal for a millionaire surtax. This is Democrats on Capitol Hill, okay? This is not a Democrat like Elizabeth Warren proposing some crazy idea. This is not Bernie Sanders coming out with some way to, you know, or some policy that he's coming up with that's going to tax the rich. This is not Joe Biden kind of taking the middle ground saying, yeah, well, I'm proposing this. No, this is actually lawmakers on Capitol Hill that are talking about a millionaire's surtax, okay? A millionaire's surtax, guys. And that's the the thing about a millionaire's surtax, surtax is that, yeah, I'm defending millionaires in some way. Now, I'm not defending millionaires because they're millionaires and I just love millionaires. I'm not defending millionaires because I just think that they're so great and that they contribute so much to society. I'm not defending millionaires because I'm a millionaire, because I'm not. And I'm not defending millionaires because I know so many millionaires and I just love them and I don't want the government to take, take, take in their money. And I'm not going to rationalize and say, well, yeah, well, look how much they, uh, they donate to charity and stuff. Nope. I'm defending millionaires because of the fact, the very fact that money is kept, better kept in a millionaire's hand if they make that money, it's better kept in their hands than in the government's hands. It's better kept in the hands of the person that produced it than some government official coming there and confiscating the money. It's, con- it's called confiscation, guys. It's called theft when you take someone's money against their will. And this is what they rationalize it as. They say, oh, well, you know what? This is, and this is what they say. This is Don Baer and Chris Van Hollen, Democrats of Virginia and Maryland, okay, on Thursday, rolled up a proposal for a millionaire surtax amid a growing interest from Democrats in increasing taxes on the wealthy. So 
We are all up in a frenzy in America, the liberals are, and those that follow the Bernie Sanders of the world and follow the Elizabeth Warrens of the world and follow the Democrats in general, right? All in a frenzy about taxing people more, making sure that they're paying their fair share, right? They're in a frenzy about this with the assumption that just because the government takes it, that it's spent better, that all of a sudden it's going to make people more equal. That's the assumption, right? That's not the truth, though. It says in the article, this is a bill designed to address two major problems of public policy, the lack of revenue and inequality. The, so the main problem that they're trying to address is the lack of revenue. But then in order to get your feelings involved in it, they say, and inequality. But the thing is, is the government has a lack of revenue. You know why? Why do they have a lack of revenue? So if you're spending at your household $100,000 a year, but you're only making $80,000 a year, then you have a lack of revenue, guys. You do. You're making $80,000 a year, but you're spending $100,000 a year. You have a lack of revenue. You're putting $20,000 onto the credit card every single year, year in and year out. So you have a lack of revenue. So what would you do in your world as a working class citizen getting out there if you had a lack of revenue? Well, you might do a couple of things. First, you might go borrow $20,000 from your parents every year and they just not pay them back. You could do that. You could go to your neighbor and steal their money. You can do that. You can go get a job or go get an extra job. Maybe you and your wife go out there and get a couple of side gigs or something like that to make up an extra 10 grand each. So then you'll have your 100 grand. Or a very simple solution is to lower your expenses. Maybe. It would be a good idea to move out of that house that costs you $3,000 a month to stay in. Maybe you can cut back on those vacations. Maybe you can cut back on food. Maybe you can start eating ramen noodles. Cut back on $20,000 worth of stuff, right? That would probably be the easiest thing for you to do if you had a lack of revenue in your household. But this is what they say. This bill is designed to address two major problems of public policy the lack of revenue, and inequality. And just ignore inequality because that has nothing to do with you, me, or anybody else in this world. This is a democratic talking point in order to get you to get pissed off about people that are being rich, people that made more money, people that have worked hard and gotten to where they are, people that have inherited the money. There's lots of ways that you make money. Very few actually inherit that money, money, though. Most people that are millionaires in America, most people that are at that level, have worked hard and saved, and they're probably like 65, 66, 70 years old, and they saved three, four, five million dollars in their life. That's what they're living off of. That's most millionaires are like that. And then you have the ones that are millionaires because they're business people and they're you know, they, they became the CEO of a company, things like that. Like That's where most millionaires are. It's not just a bunch of people that inherited money. They have a bunch of money down their cellar and they just go swimming around in it like Scrooge McDuck. 
I always say Scrooge McDuck in it. You know, like they're not doing that. They're they're just not sitting there. I think Tom Woods said it was really funny as well. They're not sitting there rolling around in it with their sweaty bodies until it sticks to them. Like they're not sitting there with loads of cash just sitting there. Most of that money is invested somewhere. But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to bring in the by saying an inequality. They're trying to get the emotional side of it. So this bill is designed to address two major problems of public policy. The lack of revenue. So it should say, this bill, they should have said it like this. This bill is designed to address one major problem of public policy. Lack of revenue. That's it, right? It's a, and then it says, they say, it's a laser-focused solution that requires those who benefited the most from the economy to contribute in a way they simply haven't been asked for before in the past. And that's it. So this is what they want to do. Create a 10 percentage point surtax on all income above $2 million for married couples and $1 million for single tax filers. Wonderful, right? 10 percentage point surtax on all income above $2 million. So if you're a married couple and you made, if you earn $2 million that year, which most people that earn $2 million in one year, the next year they don't earn $2 million, guys. It's not like you have a salary of $2 million bucks. CEOs do, some CEOs, like several CEOs do, but a lot of times it's you sold, um, you sold some shares of stock that year, you sold some, uh, you made, you wrote a book and made two million bucks off of it, like a lot of times it's things like that, like it's one, one-off times where you made that kind of money, but if you had income above two million dollars for married couples or one million dollars for single taxpayers, now that sounds crazy, right? that I'm against them taxing 10% because that just sounds like a lot of money. $2 million, wow, that's crazy. Why Why would you be against them taxing 10%? Because it's not the government's money. And first of all, that $200,000 is better left in the hands of that person that that earned it than in the government's hands because next is going to be 15%, next is going to be 20%. It's never enough money for government. It's never enough money. They will have a lack of revenue no matter what because they do not limit spending ever. So that's not the solution. More money is not the solution. Cutting is the solution, guys. Cutting is the solution. So moving forward, and it says, The surtax would result in a top tax rate on income of wages, salaries increase from 37% to 47%, plus a 3.8% Medicare surtax. It would result in the top rate of capital gains increasing from 20% to 30%, plus a 3.8% net tax investment tax. So they want to have the capital gains also go from 20% to 30%. So if you sold, if you're a retiree and you sold your stocks, your bonds, whatever, then you're going to be paying not 20%, but 30% on the gains. So, and then the Tax Policy Center says it would it would raise $635 billion over 10 years. The problem with when they do estimates like that is that they don't realize that once you do it, add a tax like that, people figure out ways around it. So you'd probably get less than $635 billion because people would find a great account, accountant that's going to figure out how to get them out of that thing, right? This revenue gener- the this is revenue generated that we can then invest in helping other Americans succeed, Van Hollen said. Just give us the six hundred and thirty-five billion dollars over ten years. Just give us that money, okay? And then we'll be able to help 
invest it in other helping other Americans succeed. That is the biggest lie that government ever tell that government officials ever say is that when they take that money, they're going to use it for something that's going to help other people. No, they're going to use it to buy more votes. They're going to use it to go into the general fund of money that the that the government's confiscating. Like they confiscate this money, they spend it, they hand out promises, they hand out favors, they do this and they do that with it. Like that's all it is. Like Oh, this is revenue generated that we can invest in helping other Americans succeed. No, that is him saying that in order to make it sound more palatable for this news story. That's all it is. That's all it is. When government says they're going to help other Americans succeed, they're just saying that we just want to take more of that money. We just want more, but we want a, we want a larger helping of the economy. We want more of that money because we think we could spend it better than you will. You're not going to take that $200,000 and invest it properly in businesses or in homes or in things that are going to help the economy. Now, we're going to take it from you. We're going to skim that $200,000 right off the top of that $2 million. We're going we're to skim two hundred grand right off of it. And then at that point, we're going to take that money and we're going to spend it better than, better than you would. We're going to pass it around the bureaucrats first, though. That's what we're going to do. And maybe... 100 grand will get out into the economy at that point. Somehow. It's confiscation, guys. That's all it is. But they just want it to make sound more palatable by saying that they're going to help other Americans succeed. This stuff makes me sick. Absolutely sick. And politicians have been, people have been wired to believe these politicians that they are like the ones that are going to help people out. And I think I know, I thought about this the other day, and I think I was, I haven't really come to the entire conclusion on how it works, but um, the thing is, is this, all of us here down below, right, the people that are not in Washington, the people that um, are just regular people, when we hear a politician in Washington say that, somehow we've magically felt like somehow people in Washington can get stuff done, right? So we are willing to pass that responsibility off to them to take care of people. But you would never go to your neighbor who is a millionaire that made, let's say your neighbor made $2 million. You would never go to your county commissioner's office and try to get them to take that money from your neighbor. You would never go to your HOA and say, that guy's richer than me, so he should pay more you would hardly even go to your state government and do that. But the federal government is so far away, it makes it so impersonal that you're able to do that and rationalize it and make you and it makes you feel okay because those politicians, they're saying, we're just going to take it away from them and we're going to give it to others to help them succeed. So we've made, it, so we've made that responsibility so far away from us. Whereas if it was if there was no federal government, if it was all done at home, on the local level, you would have less people demanding so much of that local government, because you would know that it's your neighbor that you're doing it to. You wouldn't do it at your HOA level because you know that's your neighbor that you're doing it to. You don't want to tell your neighbor how to live, but you'll tell somebody in California how to live because you don't care. That doesn't even bother you. 
I don't care about anyone in California. I mean, generally, I do care about them, like, in some way. But I care about my neighbors. I care about the people around me. That's who I generally care about the most. Those, that's personal to me. But when you have a federal government that has so much power, that becomes impersonal. So it allows people to rationalize stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah, it's just somebody in Alaska. I mean, come on. What does that bother me for, passing laws that are going to affect Alaska? I'm in South Carolina. Who cares? Things like that. But yeah, that's, that's, what has, that's what's happened. And that's why it's so easy to just say, hey, you know what? Let's just tax those damn millionaires because they're just too rich anyway. But when you realize it, it's, I mean, it's the fact that it's not the best use of those resources. The best use of the resources is in my pocket when I earn it. And in a millionaire's pocket if they earned it. Because they're going to invest it wisely. They're going to take that money and it's not gonna, it, by it not going to the federal government, it might go into a savings account and then the bank is able to loan that money out. It might go into a stock portfolio. It might, they might go out and buy three or four houses so that they can rent them out to people. They might invest it in all kinds of things. Who knows? But that's not for me to decide. It's really not. But politicians, you guys know this, they sicken me. They absolutely sicken me. So um, I am going to get off of this high horse really fast, though, and uh, come on down to you guys again and let you guys know this. If you guys will just go ahead and uh, subscribe to the show. If you're first time listening, you like what you hear, you can do that. Uh, so you'll be able to come on back tomorrow. And then a five-star rating and review is always helpful as well. If you'd like to uh, help me to get this show out to more people, that would be great. Share it with your friends. Uh, and then... IonTheEmpire.com is the website that I always direct you to as well. That's the website that I post any type of news articles that I find. And then I on the Empire on Facebook and on Twitter if you want to follow me there. And then uh, the best thing you could do is keep on coming back on Monday, though. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow is Saturday, right? But on Monday, you want to come back, you'll have clear vision for 2020. Enjoy your weekend.